I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align podcast. Bodies carry their history written within them. In the event of accidents and sometimes quite minor accidents, little Johnny falls and mama looks him over and he's still operational. Mama tells the neighbor, we're so lucky Johnny didn't hurt himself. Nothing's happened to Johnny, but actually things have happened to Johnny. Various of Johnny's muscles have been displaced slightly so that Johnny in continuing to move around, to run around, to climb around, is using a different muscular pattern. And that different muscular pattern places itself on top of what should be the, the, uh, the effective muscular pattern of the uninjured body. But it all talks to the seeing eye of what has gone on to displace the muscular patterns within the body. Welcome back to the Lime Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and in today's beautiful episode, I got to chat with a handsome fella called Todd Hargrove. He is the uh, writer of A Guide to Better Movement, The Science and Practice of Moving with More Skill and Less Pain. Um, Todd is a certified rolfer. He is a Feldenkrais practitioner. He is a uh, really, really interesting guy that got himself out of all sorts of pain, and uh, we delve into his journey on how he did that. Um, we get into all sorts of fun stuff in this conversation. We get into finding joint neutrality or joint centration and the value of finding this balance throughout all of our movements. Uh, get into what the heck Feldenkrais is and um, how to utilize some of those movements into our daily practice. And uh, awakening our nervous system is a big thing. Uh, one of the things we, we get into is in relation to our nervous system being kind of like an overprotective mother and how we can convince our nervous system that we are safe through a wide variety of ranges of motions through slow, gradual exploration of those ranges of motion. When I was in uh, chronic pain in my 20s, I forgot what it was like to be really comfortable just sitting around and taking easy breaths. I mean, because I had, and, and like when if I would go to a you know, yoga class or do some sort of mindful movement practice and I would feel fantastic and I'm like, you know, I should feel like this all the time. And it's just kind of a reminder that this is what life can be like. And I think a lot of people that are getting better, uh, they have that kind of like, oh man, well, I've, I've been missing out. They, you know, they forgot what it what it feels like to not have pain or to not have discomfort. You know. Thank you so much for tuning in to AlignTherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N Therapy.com. That is uh, the website that you will find the podcast guests. You will find hundreds of free videos in self-care and functional movement. You'll find the self-care kit, which is a hollow foam roller with uh, screw-in lids. Inside the roller is a couple different myofascial release balls, heavy-duty elastic band, door anchor. You can adjust the height of that thing. And integrating self-care into our every single moment is the goal. If we can move therapeutically, get our joints into this centrated or neutral place, from a wide range of movements, then uh, life becomes therapeutic. That's what we're shooting for. 
if you occasionally hear <laughs> the a couple like little knocks here it's because i'm just holding my microphone i'm currently in grass valley california and i'm on my way over to meet up with uh dr kelly starrett and his wife juliet and uh meeting up with them tomorrow and we're gonna do some body work stuff and maybe possibly finagle them into doing another podcast with me we shall see how that goes um and yeah, so I'm cruising around California here for a bit and then come back up to Oregon and then moving to Santa Monica for the winter. So if anybody's out there and I'd love to love to link up, make some new friends and uh, just connect. It sounds like a hoot. Um, I got some quotes. What's the quotes that I got here? From Moshe Feldenkrais is uh, I got two that I'd like to read. One of which is maybe I'll read three because I just got this. We just got so, so many good ones. All right. Movement is life. Life is a process. Improve the quality of the process and you improve the quality of life itself. That's kind of what we get into this with this conversation is how this our physical movement, our physical structure is an expression of what's happening at a deeper level. How we're feeling ends up manifesting and how we stand in our body and that ends up becoming who we are, I, I, I believe. Uh, another quote. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Where is it? Uh, this might be the one I want to read. In order to change our mode of action, we must change the image of ourselves that we carry within us. This is something I've been thinking about quite a bit. And uh, it's this saying thanks to the patterns that uh, they may be compromised patterns, they may be compensatory patterns, but they have served us throughout our life. And even if they're not the most balanced, most poetic, most beautiful movement patterns, um, they have served us. And I think sometimes we, we're, we're constantly in this kind of place where we're trying to, to work against ourselves and, and always be something different, always be something different. The thought is uh, just having full, complete appreciation for ourselves with where we're at and really allowing space to move forward. I think oftentimes we, in creating resistance around whatever subject we're uncomfortable with, you know, drugs would be an example. By, by illegalizing drugs, I think you could easily argue that it ends up giving power to drug dealers. Whereas if you were to tolerate it, and you were able to research it and you were able to create facilities for it um, then all of a sudden the government ends up taking that power by being able to tax it and being able to actually control it as long as we have this strong resistance against the thing depending upon the thing I think it ends up actually um, creating more power for it that's again a book I've referenced a billion times now it's called anti-fragile and it kind of kind of delves into to that subject and uh, the other thing that the introductory clip was uh, with Miss Ida P. Rolf. She is the founder of Rolfing Structural Integration, and uh, I thought that would be a poignant, poignant clip to include in this in this episode. Um, in relation to holding on to old patterns, not letting them go, everybody knows this old story where the uh, the fella needs to get across a river, and he builds a builds a kayak, builds a boat to to cruise across the river with, and then he gets across the river, and he likes the kayak so much that he 
carries the kayak with him for the rest of his life and drags it through the woods. And that's kind of what these patterns are in our lives, in our, in, you know, the way that we are eating habits or the way we treat each other or the way that we move. Every time we bend over, we end up breaking in our, in our lumbar spine and our whatever it may be. It's these practiced habits. And I think through recognition and appreciation and uh, acceptance, I think that we are able to actually create some real genuine progress. Okay. Um, hope that wasn't too out there for people. Um, thank you so much for utilizing the Amazon portal on the right-hand sidebar of the blog and the podcast page on AlignTherapy.com. Uh, every time you purchase some random stuff off of the Amazon, uh, Line Therapy Foundation gets about 7% of that purchase. Nothing changes for you at all. All you do is just bookmark that link and then literally you won't notice any difference after that except that you will be supporting this podcast. And that is just fabulous. Um, thanks for reviews on iTunes. That's amazing. They make me make me happy and uh, mean a ton. And also they support the podcast as well because it tells iTunes that people are digging what's happening here. Um, that could be that could be enough. I think that might be enough. Uh, here we go back to the show with uh, Mr. Todd Har Grove. <laughs> podcast one of the things i was curious about is your journey of getting out of pain i've heard you mention a couple times that you were successful with getting yourself out of there yeah can we kind of break into to that sure a bit like sure. what that process was and what what was happening yeah uh so when i was uh in my early 20s i was a lawyer and my and my mid-20s and my early 30s too but um at that time i had some chronic pain in my upper back uh, in my lower back and, uh, it, it was really bothering me. It wasn't anything severe, but it was kind of coming and going and it was, uh, uh, it was here and there. And I, you know, looking back, I would say, you know, I was, you know, maybe I was like almost getting into borderline what you might call fibromyalgia. I, I know a lot of people don't really like that word, but you know, I had a lot of widespread chronic pain. It wasn't obviously related to anything mechanical. Um, and so I got really, extremely motivated to get out of it because I was pretty young and most people my age didn't really have any pain. And so I was reading and researching and did a little physical therapy, did a little stretching. You know, this was like back in the early 2000s or the late 90s. And we didn't have like a ton of information on the internet. And I was motivated to kind of get out there and and, uh, look at a a lot of information. Uh, And I just come across a, a little few tidbits here and there, like, um, you know, some yoga books and some physical therapy books. And I was also reading some sports performance books because I was interested in getting better at, at squash, which, which, which I was playing. And so I read some books by Greg Cook and Michael Boyle and Shirley Sarman. And it, there seemed to be this kind of common theme that, you know, the quality of your movement, if you work on the quality of your movement, you could get better at sports. Maybe you could also get out of pain and I just kind of started going down that road, and I did a little rolfing. I did some body work. I did kind of a lot of stuff, and and you know, long story short, within a few years, I basically had no pain at all. And then I was feeling, you know, after it went, by the time I was 35, I'm like, hey, I feel better at 35 than I did when I was 25. That's kind of interesting. And yeah. I became then I started to get interested in kind of helping other people too. Cool. What was the pain exactly? You, it was upper back, shoulders. Um, yeah, just kind of like a, a neck and upper back. 
And what do you attribute it to now in retrospect? Yeah, I don't attribute it to any one particular factor, and that's probably a kind of a common theme in, in the way I look at pain. I think it's a pretty multifactorial thing. So, you know, part of it, I don't think I was moving enough and it with the right um, intensity. So I was, I was probably, I was spending a lot of time sitting around doing nothing, and then I was going out and playing really hard. Right. Uh, so that wasn't exactly the right pattern of intensity. I think the quality of the movement wasn't that good. I didn't do uh, that much work with uh, my mobility, uh, with my strength before I went and played a sport. So I think the quality of my movement wasn't as good. And when I got into things like, you know, yoga and spending time with slow movement, that was helpful. Um, I also think my general lifestyle wasn't that good. I wasn't sleeping well enough. I wasn't eating well enough. I was too stressed at work. I had the wrong job. So I think pain is a really multifactorial thing, and I think I had a lot of multifactorial things going the wrong way. And uh, I can't really say what's the one thing that was wrong and that helped. I think there was many things wrong and many things helped. Yeah, yeah. Pain's such a such a weird, big, huge Pandora's box of a subject, and I think it's you know I've heard you mentioned before something along the lines of pain is kind of like a call to action. You know, but then the question is, what, what, how are we supposed to take action? Was, yeah, what was the action? Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of actions. I mean, one of the things I was being called to do was um, get out of my seat and start moving. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty fidgety guy when I'm in a seat, and it was pretty hard for me to sit still uh, in my chair. So I was kind of getting up out of the chair. I was trying this position. I was trying that position. I was trying the other position. I was trying to take time off work and and, and take naps. And yeah, so part of my call to action was to get away from the desk. Yeah, I'm reading um, Somatics by Thomas Hanna right now. It's a really fun book if you haven't. Yeah, and uh, one of the things he gets into is the whole sensory motor uh, amnesia, you know, and how we yes. we're, we're essentially essentially forgetting our bodies, you know, and, and the analogy that I use with this oftentimes is, you know, if you look in your joints you know, or your whole body, but it's like a book, it's a story in there and we have to plug in the information and, and actually write the code for that place. Most of us, you know, say overhead flexion, for example, it's like we've never even written any information in that posterior side of the shoulder girdle. And yeah, it's dangerous. You know, we don't, we don't ever, we don't have yeah. any information when we go into something like say like diving off of a, into, into some water or something, you know, we just, we haven't learned that. And then I think yeah. that leads to potential injury and then potential pain is my curiosity. Do you, is there some type of misinformation that could lead to pain you think, or do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I mean, I like I like Thomas Hanna's work. I mean, he was the you know the somatics guy, and I'm a Feldenkrais practitioner, and uh, somatics is actually a, a, an offshoot of uh, Feldenkrais, and that term that he came up with, the sensory motor amnesia, I think is a great term to explain you know how we help people as movement therapists, as manual therapists, right? I mean, we basically remind people of movement capacities that they had at one time but then they basically forgot about because of you know sedentary lifestyle or disuse so i mean you, the example you use like the arms going overhead that's something that we i mean we used to know how to do it you know to yeah. use your book writing analogy we spent some time writing that book when we were <laughs> kids right because when we were kids we were hanging off monkey bars or, or hopefully and, and getting our arms overhead and using them in functional ways and so there's some there's some old passages in those books you know that the pages may be like like uh, torn and yellowed and, but we need to like go back and look at those and and remember what what that's like and so 
if you don't have to write something new, I mean, writing something new, that takes some time and some practice. But if you get a quick improvement after doing some sort of mobility drill or, or going to a massage therapist, I think that's because you, you didn't have to rewrite. You just went and looked and said, okay, yeah, right, that's how I did it. I did this before, and you kind of remember this is how I use my shoulders overhead. You know? yeah. yeah, and then the analogy I've heard you use in reference to that is creating, we start off with this fundamental language, movement is a language, and we start with the fundamentals of it. And then from there, we build up so we can have complex conversation. You know, and yeah. that's, and that's, yeah. that's, yeah. I like that movement as, lang as language. I think I got that from Dr. Eric Cobb. Uh, he was talking about, um, uh, he had this analogy about being, you know, fluent in language, and he says you can have like a survival vocabulary of um, that you go to another country and you've, you've got like, you know, not so many words. You know, you know how to order the bill. You know how to say please. You know how to say thank you. You can get by. You can live, right? You can, you can get the things you need to get done, but you're not fluent in the language. You can't really have a great life. You can just survive. He says people are like that with movement. You know, they can walk, they can get to the couch, they can get to the refrigerator, they can get to the car. They've got this like survival language of movement, but they're not fluent in movement, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the same way that you pick up different dialects, you know, if you go to like Spain, there's like something, I, I forget how many, over 10 different, different, different dialects of Spanish in each place you could learn a different way of speaking. You know, and I think that in our, you know, westernized culture or our sitting culture, our sitting language, we've kind of learned this like pigeon broken, poor grammar <laughs> yeah, version yeah, of yeah. communicating with our physical bodies. And when we want to say something, we're like, I can't dog fart. And we're like, I really want to say I'm thirsty for water, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the re-education though. How do we how do we start to spin that back and kind of take the yellow off the pages and start to find those primitive movement patterns? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I do like this idea of like the like you say the fundamental movements, the primitive movements, and uh, so um, I think in in some sense this is kind of obvious, and that's where our common sense goes anywhere. So I mean, I think of like your basic building block movements, you know, the ones that, that we, that are kind of like these basic words that we make complex sentence out of are, are the ones that we, most people train in the gym anyway. So squats, lunges, pushes, pulls, pull-ups, push-ups, you know, those are good, you know, gait movements like running or climbing or, 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 or swimming. Those, those are the things that most people do when they, uh, go to a gym anyway. And, and, you know, you see people get on machines or do other things that maybe aren't as functional or aren't really training those kind of basic patterns as well. Uh, but uh, I think we can add to that by going back to the ground. This is something maybe that's neglected a bit, going back to the ground, because this is where a lot of this stuff comes from. So walking comes from a little bit crawling. And, uh, you know, a lot of these movement comes from, you know, like, so there, there has been more interest these days in, in these baby movements, getting on the ground, doing primal flow type stuff. And Building Christ is a lot about that. Uh, my getting better was a lot about that. Getting on the floor, rolling around, crawling around. I like doing that kind of thing, and, and I recommend it to people as a as an easier way to kind of hit your fundamental movements with less stress and and, and more time to explore. You know? Yeah, it's like the the resetting to reboot that concept. You know, I think Drake Cook or I don't know. I've I've heard that before, but but it's that slowing down and going back into those primitive movements to start to recreate the foundation. You know, if you've started yeah. building the house yeah. and you never built the foundation, it's like, well, good luck with the sunroof. <laughs> it might work out, but yeah.
Yeah. It might be an earthquake. Yeah. So for people, how do they, is there some kind of tangible kind of ground floor place that people can start getting back to some of these primitive reflexes, primitive movement patterns that start to scrub clean the, the pigeon vernacular? Yeah. You know, I don't like if I've got a client that, um, I want to help them with their movement. I'm not going to force them to get on the floor and say, okay, you're not allowed to run because you don't have a perfect gait, and now you've got to crawl for a year before you can run. If they want to run, you know, they're allowed to run. That's cool. But if they want to get on the floor and start crawling around and slow it down and rebuild up the foundation, I think that's that's good as well. I think, I think um, you know, I'd like them to do both. Yeah. But, uh, you, you know, you can only get people to show up for, for you know, well, something that they're interested in and, and probably only one thing. But if you are interested in getting on the ground and, and uh, you know, crawling around and going slow, uh, Feldenkrais is one movement system that I like. Somatics is another. I like Tai Chi movements, even though they're standing up because they're really slow. Yoga, you're getting close to the ground and you're moving around. You're, you're starting to see um, these different uh, systems. I think there's one called animal flow or primal flow, or there's probably a primal animal flow and an animal primal flow and, a, right. and that, you know, grappling types of uh, uh, systems, systema, um, uh, any, anything where you're getting on the floor and, and rolling around, I, I'm, I'm cool with. Yeah, it's the repeated practice of movements with uh, a term that I pulled out. I got from you. You got it from DNS, I think, or somewhere. Is the joint centration, you know? And it's and it's the practice of, of a wide range of movement patterns from this this balanced joint integration, you know. And it's like that's that's where the real money is. But oftentimes, I think we get wrapped up on like the glamour muscles and isolating different parts, and then it just gets really confusing. Uh huh. Well, know? you know. You know, I do do uh, a couple hundred bicep curls every day. Okay. So. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I didn't think uh, so. if, this was a if this was a video, people would, would know that that's a joke. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the 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 um, it's the distortion of the signal in our nervous system that I, I find curious with that the joint centration or the lack of joint centration. You know, can we can you get into a little bit of of just like how our brain perceives? information from a you know a centrated place versus a non-centrated place and what centration is yeah well um not sure how to answer the question um centration is a term that the dns people use and uh i think a, another word that i use in the book uh which i actually prefer just because it's less fancy is just neutral sure. so i think it's uh, uh a neutral joint is is um something that's Maybe a little bit hard to define in, in, a, in, in a super definite way, but I think I define it in the book as a, as a position from the joint uh, from which you have kind of a, uh, a maximum amount of good options for movement depending on the context. So, you know, if you're, if you're just standing up, uh, and, and that's your, your functional context because you're, you're just standing in line at, at the store, you don't have much to do, a centrated hip joint would be in the you know, the, the, the extended position and you're just kind of standing up with what's normally considered good posture. It's yeah. good It's good posture because it's a minimum of effort to maintain yourself in that position. But a centrated hip joint for some guy that's in a baseball field and about to field a baseball is uh, that classic baseball ready position where you're kind of in a half squat position. It's not very efficient in terms of uh, because you're you're using your quads, you're, you're using yourself uh, a lot of muscles to stay in that position. But you need to be in that type of a position to be ready to go in any direction very quickly. So forward, side to side, very quickly. So 
I think this is kind of a Feldenkrais's idea of good posture, good alignment. It's that alignment which allows you the maximum amount of functional options at any one time. Yeah, there's a, I, I don't speak Japanese, but I learned a Japanese word, kodaisa. And uh, someone told me that it's, it's, it means spaciousness, and it's something that you could use for spaciousness in your body or spaciousness in your, your lifestyle. You know, it's like showing up to wherever you got to be 15 minutes early instead of one minute late. You know, I think that that's that similar, uh-huh. that similar concept within your joints. Except for some people use that to, to show up late, and they're like, hey, I was just using my kodasa to show right. up 15 minutes late. I'm- I just can't be held back. Yeah, right. I'm uncontainable, you know. But it, but it's that it's that similar concept of how we how we are with, within our physical joints. I think that affects the way that we feel, and then yeah, there's it the- does, it does. Yeah, that was that was Feldenkrais's idea as well. So is is he sitting in a chair? When Feldenkrais is sitting in a chair, and you see Feldenkrais kind of people doing this, he was a martial arts guy, and he thought that your physical comfort had a lot to do with, just like I said, with your ability to do all this stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of like, you know, we're animals. What do we want to do? We want it, we've got this primal sense going on all the time that's kind of like, I might could be attacked by a predator at any moment. So if he was sitting in a chair, he was like aware of where's the exit signs, you know, and he's kind of, he's a, he's a little bit forward in his chair. He's comfortable, but he's ready to get up and move at any time. Yeah. So I think if, and I like this idea, if you're, if you get yourself kind of ready mm-hmm. to do a lot of potentially powerful functional stuff at any one moment, you'll probably find yourself in a, in a neutral, centrated, and pretty comfortable position. So I'm kind of, you can't see me right now, but I'm kind of in my chair. I'm on, I've got a good, I'm sitting in my chair. I'm, I'm to the, I'm forward in my chair. I'm on my sit bones. My um, my feet are making good contact with the ground, and I'm kind of ready to get up. Yeah. I'm ready to sit here, as, and I'm comfortable sitting here as well. So I kind of like that as a as as a model for for uh, physical comfort is is kind of being being ready to do stuff. Yeah, Miyamoto Masashi said, "Make your everyday stance your battle stance," which is a good. Yeah, one. that's the same idea. This is a, a <laughs> lot of martial arts. You're kind of like chilling out the part of yourself that's always on red alert. You know. It makes sense from an evolutionary perspective that we'd be comfortable in a position that makes us ready to defend ourselves. Yeah. And then going beyond that and just the physical readiness is how that affects you at an emotional level. I think that's where I find like, whoa, this is really interesting now, you know, where it's like you mentioned the stop test or something like that in relation to gambling and addiction and kind of risky behaviors or something like that. And do you remember that? Do you remember writing about that? Yeah. Can we get into those correlates a bit? Yeah, so this is some this is some kind of uh, interesting research. Um, not don't know a ton about it, and it's the kind of thing that maybe it didn't replicate or something like that. There's not a ton of research on this, but there is at least a little research that shows that um, motor inhibition, your ability to inhibit unwanted unwanted motor activity, basically keeping your muscles relaxed and not you know having some motor control, is related to inhibiting unwanted emotional activity or, or like gambling. So, so you can look at uh, too much gambling or too much drug use as a failure of your uh, ability to inhibit yourself from going after this shiny object, right? I mean, we all, we all see, oh, I can make a million dollars doing this, but then some part of our brain speaks up and says, no, don't do that. Yeah. So, and when you're moving around, you're, you know, you're always activating muscles, but you, you need to inhibit yourself as well. So in soccer, you go, that's a good opportunity to go over the left. I'll go over the left. 
as soon as that closes down, you need to be able to stop, balance yourself, and go right. That's what you see good players do. Soccer field, hockey field, whatever. They've got good motor inhibition. Those guys would also be good, according to this research, at not gambling <laughs> or drinking too much. Yeah. So so the, the way they, they, they determine who's good at, at inhibiting or not is to do a stop task. So a stop task is you're doing this computer program, and you're supposed to press a button every time a... a, a um, a black bar shows up in the screen. So black bar shows up, hit the hit the key. Black bar shows up, hit the, the space key. Then it doesn't show up and you need to inhibit yourself from doing it because you're doing it really quick. People that aren't very good at that tend to have a little bit more gambling problems, a little bit more drug abuse problems. Practicing getting better at that helps them with that. And so this is, maybe this is proof of kind of like this ancient wisdoms you see in things like yoga and tai chi and martial arts where there's a lot of this skill of motor control you know you're, if you can control your body you can control your mind you can control your emotions you know you can be a master of your of your life yeah i wonder so something i see i i think 100% of the time with with people is I generally, only 100%? it's only a hundred percent. I will see patterns within people's lifestyles and the way they, you know, their perspectives on themselves and views on the world. And I will see that manifest in the way that they hold their physical body and even, even the, the sensation or the, the, the feeling of, of their physical tissue and someone that comes into my office and they're really constricted and tight and and it's like, Oh boy, and I, I just know it's gonna be such a pain in the ass to work with them. I'm willing to do it, but it's gonna be a pain, you know. And it's gonna be so much philosophy and so much talk and so much kind of convincing them to maybe start bending their perspectives a little bit, their values a little bit. Maybe go out just dancing, you know. Maybe stay up really late one night. Maybe don't go to bed at eight o'clock one night, you know. And and what I see is that start to change the way that they actually hold their physical tissue. I wonder, do you have that experience at all? Well, I, I, I would definitely agree with you that it's all connected. And, um, um, but I, I don't know if I can find personally connections between like the way someone's tissue feels. Now, I don't think that, let's put it this way, I don't think that I could walk to, to someone, feel their tissue, and know that, that much about them uh, personally. Maybe I just don't have that kind of skill. But I definitely agree that it's all connected. And uh that idea that what you said about, you know, go out dancing, stay up later, whatever, those are the kind of little invitations to behavioral change that I will give to a, a client. I, I really think in terms of baby steps, you know, I, I think that it's very often the case that someone's whatever someone wants to fix in terms of their pain is very much kind of wrapped up or maintained in a lot of what's going on in their life. And that getting rid of that is going to require some real change. I mean, it's hard for people to change their behavior. However they're, what, however they're acting right now is a way that they've learned to act for many, many years. And there might be a lot of habits there. And it's not as easy as just going to a new class or something like that. Yeah. So so, so I, I, I try to kind of motivate them to change in whatever way it looks like they're kind of already tilted in a direction of changing and to encourage that. But it was like you said, it's a, it can be a, a long road for some people. Yeah, it's not, it's not if I were just eyes closed, roll up, feel somebody's bicep and be like, ha ha, I'm reading it. It's not that. It's, it's more the organization of their nervous system. You know, it's, it's more the way they hold their whole entire body. You know, and so same thing like a hypermobile person, that they just keep on doing more yoga and keep on doing more flexibility work. Oftentimes, I find 
they are they change really rapidly. It's amazing. It makes you feel like a magician. But they don't hold on to changes. And sometimes maybe they're kind of like a pushover in their life. Maybe sometimes they show up to appointments a little bit late. They're just so loose and, and flowing with everything. But yeah. any, anyway, maybe that's my own well, I, illusion. I, I, <laughs> I, I, do see, uh, I do see people that, uh, you know, one, one pattern I think I notice with people is some people are more sensitive and some people are less sensitive. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you have the, the some people that, uh, and by sensitive, I just mean, the amount of stimulus and the amount of response. There's some people that with just a very small stimulus, there's a very big response. And that's true over like a wide range of things. You know, they're, they're more, maybe more anxious, more neurotic, more likely to hurt when something happens. And there's some people that just tend towards stability. They just, no matter how big of a stimulus is, they're just always the same. This is the kind of person that, that you know, runs a marathon and is the same. And has, or a woman who has like a kid and is back doing the CrossFit. And it's kind of like all these things happen in their life and everything's always, they're always dependable. They're all, they're all, they don't need uh, their sleep. They don't need their pumpkin soy latte in the morning to feel good. You know what right. I mean? Right, yeah. And, uh, those are different kinds of people, and you expect different results when you work with them. Yeah, and so and so, my kind of more tangible perspective on that is the way that we view the world, the way that we view ourselves. If I see myself as a real tight ass, and I'm really linear, and I'm really, you know, if I'm that way, I'll probably hold my physical body in a different way than a person that's all new age and love and rainbows. You know, that person might yeah. lead with their hips a little bit more. They might kind of be focusing on opening their heart chakra or whatever. That changes their physical structure. You know, and it's just and and just the things that they choose to do in general, which ends up manifesting as this physical tissue organization that is like, oh, okay, we kind of can read the story, I think. You know, uh -huh. yeah, it's all it's all connected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the overprotective mother concept I find interesting as well in relation yeah, so to the nervous the, system. Yeah, so the, the, the basic idea there is that the nervous system has a lot of control over, uh, over um, you know, what's going on in your body, how much flexibility you have, how much strength you have, you know, obviously what kind of coordination and motor control you have, whether or not you have pain. Those are areas where... Uh, you know, it's, it's a lot about what the nervous system is allowing you to do. And um, a lot of the bad things that happen in our body that we're trying to get rid of, pain, stiffness, weakness, poor coordination, are the result of the nervous system basically trying to protect you from yourself, like an overprotective mother spoiling the life of a little kid, not letting them play in the playground. So let's say you want to, do, to uh, have more flexibility. Um, you might have, you might be struggling to have more flexibility or you might feel stiff because the nervous system is kind of unconsciously not letting you get to that range of motion because it's concerned that something bad will happen when you go there because it knows you're weak at that end range of motion or you're not coordinated at that end range of motion or we haven't been there before or, and also I remember two years ago when you hurt me, when we went to that range of motion, when we were in the, in the hot yoga class. And, and so I don't want to go there yeah. just like the mom that doesn't want the kid to go play on the monkey bars because he fell off two years ago and hurt himself. Right. The kid's dying to play, wants to play. How does he show the mom that it's safe to do it? You very slowly should go, Hey mom, look, I'm, I'm only two feet off the ground and I'm on the monkey bars. See, mom, I didn't fall. See, okay, mom, now I'm going to go up a little bit higher and you eventually convince mom it's safe to play. That's how you convince your nervous system to have more range of motion, to have less pain, less stiffness, to stop protecting you from yourself. You know, you, you've got to 
that's great at exposure, just showing mom that I can deal with these threats and not get hurt. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, we, we fear what we don't understand, you know, right. and once again, it's this, these, these correlates between our physical body and our emotional perspective on the world, you know, so our physical tissue, our nervous system fears movements that we just, we're just not savvy with it yet. And that's the same concept of we haven't written anything in these blank pages in our shoulder girdle. So when you go up for that overhead range of motion, you may anatomically have the range. You know, if you were anesthetized and you're knocked out, you might have yeah. that range of motion, but your nervous system's like, I don't know about that. It's dark in there. Shuts it down. Yeah. It's dark in there. Something bad happened years ago. Last time I did that, I felt this really sharp stabbing pain. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, rightly so. The nervous system, it's and it's overprotective. You know, it, it, it doesn't care about whether you get to go have fun. It just wants you to survive and have babies. And it, it evolved in a world where minor injuries like sprained ankles might be the difference between you, you know, eating and getting eaten. So it takes little pains and injuries very seriously, even though there's not maybe a lot of tissue damage involved. Yeah. And speaking about the nervous system as a protective mother, I think there's the potential of it creating a little bit of like a dualism or separation between me and my nervous system. I wonder yeah. how do we get to the point where is that like enlightenment or something? Or is that where you get to the point where it's like, I am really genuinely in tune with my nervous system or well, is I, I, I've got there, but I can't explain it. <laughs> right. It's <laughs> usually the case. I mean, yeah, it's just, you know, it's kind of a, you know, there, there's, there's a, uh, it's, I think it's just kind of a problem with language. You, you know, we say the nervous system wants you to do this. It's just kind of a metaphorical way of talking. Right. And I think it's a way of uh, basically saying, hey, this is unconscious. You know, mm. it, it might be, it might be more appropriate to say I as a person am afraid of uh, my arm going overhead. But, you know, it, that doesn't respect the fact that, you know, I'm, maybe I'm not consciously afraid of doing it. Yeah. There's an unconscious part of me. Yeah. in my brain, in my nervous system somewhere that doesn't want me to do that. I'm not really aware of it, though, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm not aware of deciding uh, I need to uh, fire more peroneus longus uh, next time I step to avoid my knee collapsing out a little bit more to the left. Yeah. But there is a part of my nervous system or my brain that is aware of that, that is, you know, quote, thinking about that and just making decisions about that. And so we, we talk about it with metaphors, and it can it – can, uh, it, these metaphors are good for one perspective, but but not another one. So, like you say, it can get kind of uh, confusing. Yeah, and that confusion relates to like intrinsic versus extrinsic move, movement cues, you know. And so, if we focus too much on peroneus longus, then sometimes we can confuse the whole system. And you have the whole anatomical breakdown, and you're just the smartest guy in the room, but you move like shit, you know, because you're yeah. so wrapped up. In the, in the mechanism of it. But if you just say, I just want you to drive that foot in the ground, you know, all of a sudden, like, boom, Proteus Longus is on board. Yeah, yeah, I think a good phrase for that, uh, uh, what you're talking about is paralysis by analysis. Sure. So, I mean, but what, what, what you're basically saying is that if you think about your body too much as you're moving, stuff will go wrong. So if you, if you want to mess with someone... Uh, who's golfing, you know, ask him, hey, at the, at the end of your backswing, do you inhale or exhale? And then, you know, <laughs> and then they'll think about it and then they'll, then they'll shank the ball, right? right? But if you just have them think about the target, you know, be the ball or, or, or be the club face or, or just think about nothing but the, the result, that's what gets people moving the right way. Yeah, yeah. And then the, um, what's your time frame, by the way? I don't want to, is it okay if we, we go for an hour, another 20, 20, 20 minutes or so? Or are you... That's, that's fine. Well, that's wonderful. fine. Wonderful. Cool. Um, so, 
something. So I've been doing a crap ton of yoga. I've been making a lot of yoga references in all my interviews. People will notice um, because just in the last two weeks, I'm doing like two hours of it a day. I got a, I got a, a membership. And wow. so I'm trying to take, take it. That is a crap ton. That's a crap ton. And it's been good. I've noticed really dramatic changes in my body, actually. It's been amazing. It's really cool. Um, you know, but with that, something I witness is a lot of obsession with flexibility and oftentimes a lack of stability. In most yoga classes, uh, you know, any kind of trained eye, I think you'll just see movement faux pas like for, for days. And it's, it's, it's that if I'm more stretchy, that's better than... Yeah being going less into the into the posture but maintaining stability can yeah. we kind of get into that a little bit of you know i experienced the same thing myself when you know back in 2005 i was doing a lot of yoga and i found a lot of benefits for it but then you know like a lot of things i think uh you know you get into something new and you go through the novice stage you get to the intermediate stage you experience health benefits and then you start trying to go from intermediate to the more advanced or expert, and then that thing usually starts hurting you a little bit. And then yoga was like that for me, right? So, you know, I get in a yoga class, and my teacher's telling me, hey, it's not about how far you go in the pose. You don't need to, this is not about doing the splits or having that huge forward bend or something like that. But there's just a stupid part of, and I know that, but there's a stupid part of me that's looking at the people in class that are the, quote, good people at yoga and can do that stuff and can do all the poses the way you're, quote, supposed to do them. And that stupid part of my brain is is competitive and, and is trying to do that. And, and you know, there's some people that, that go to yoga classes and they don't have that going on as much. They know that it's dumb for them to push past the point of comfort or to be competitive or, or to try to, you know, deform their body into the shapes they see in the magazines. Yeah. Uh, but then there's other people that, that will do stupid things in class, try to be too flexible and, uh, you know, compromise themselves a little bit. So I was doing all this trying to get my forward bend better because it didn't look as good as the, you know, the 16-year-old girl in class that could do it really well. And um, so my hamstrings felt worse as a result. You know, they felt stiffer as a result. I could do a better forward bend. Yeah. Uh, then, like, I remember right after that, I got into uh, doing kettlebells, and you're doing swings with kettlebells, and you're working the hell out of your hamstrings, you know, in terms of, um, uh, you know, weight training. And they felt much better. Yeah. Yeah, was, I was loading them and not stretching them, and and uh, and I never stretched them. Right. There is something stretchy to the swing, so I shouldn't say that. But uh, anyway, it, it was an interesting uh, contrast. Yeah, yeah, and then that comes into something that I I witness quite a bit is a kind of off kilterness of the joint centration in a yoga class because we're striving for this crazy contortionist flexibility and in doing that we're blowing out the integrity of you know say for example like in a forward bend we're blowing out the integrity of the lumbar thoracic uh, vertebra and we're forcing them into this bent hose position when really yeah. we might get a lot more out of that if we kept maintained that neutral spine and then just hinged forward and you feel this huge huge lengthening through the hamstrings but you know, you're, you're not licking your butt yet. So that makes you kind yeah. of want to be like, I got to yeah. get. <laughs> and that, that's, that's exactly what I was doing. And that's exactly why the, why yoga was probably bothering my low back a little bit was because I was, you know, I was goal oriented. Just like you say, we're kind of set up to be goal oriented. So if the goal is put your head down to your knee or, or get your hands to interlock around your feet, then you're going to, you're going to move from the back because that helps you achieve the goal. Um, and, and, uh, it's going to be hard for you to, it was hard for me to keep my back in neutral. Not that I didn't know how to do it, but, um, 
you know, my, my competitive mind worked against me. Something I think is super swell is um, practicing yin yoga, which is kind of um, just holding positions for like a really long time, like seven, yeah. seven minutes, 10 minutes. I, and I tried it. Pretty weird, yeah. It, it is a trip, you know, and it's it's a it's a really fun experience because what you see is it's literally like you're having this conversation with your overprotective, you know, mother, right? And so it's like okay, yep. as I'm as I have my hip pulled back, at first it's just like oh dear God, you know, and then yep. after sixty seconds, all of a sudden, mom's like. I think you're fine. All of a sudden, you and you feel this kind of, and then you get to the next point. They call it the edge. Yep. Like, oh God! And you it's do that. It's an interesting little movement experiment. You learn something about yourself, and I think what you say about the conversation with the overprotective mother is like exactly right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the like the essence of yoga is you put yourself in a stressful position, and you breathe through it, and you kind of non-judgmental awareness of it, and you kind of notice how the stress melts away a little bit if you you know just kind of. Uh, deal with it with the right frame of mind and that's like a, it's like a deep lesson yeah. uh, for yogas yogis yeah totally and then just real quick once again the the correlation between if you can sit with yourself in that way for seven to ten minutes that dramatically affects the way that you perceive the world again and your patience with certain things you know if you yeah. can feel oh this situation sucks i'll just sit with it it's gonna be okay yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. the situation no, yeah. goes by <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I've noticed um, uh, a few times, and this goes back to that stop task inhibition thing. You know, it's like I, I'm not driving my car and someone does something uh, that bothers me and I've kind of, I've got like this reflex for my middle finger to come up. <laughs> I feel like when I'm doing more mindful movement work, I have a little bit of that, I think what you call the, free, the Japanese freedom. And it's kind of like I've got like this, this like once, I've got an extra second before I can, I feel like this gap between being annoyed by that guy where I can ask myself, do I really want my finger to come up? And then when I do it, it's on purpose, not just reflexively. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. sometimes you don't do it too. Right, yeah. yeah. That's uh, the Thomas Hanna and the semantics, semantic stuff. He, he calls it, what is it, red light reflex, green light reflex, and then trauma reflex. And the red light reflex, I believe, is flexion, contraction in the front, guarding. I think so, yeah, green yeah. Green light yeah. is that extension from the back. And what, he's, yeah. what he says is sometimes when we can get into kind of stuck in that contracted state, and that's that, that, uh, that amnesia, sensory motor amnesia, where we kind of, we forgot that our, our muscles are contracted. And that's what we see. We end up dumping all this energy throughout the day because we're in yes. this constant state of contraction holding, you know, and that can lead to things like hypertension and, you know, affecting your vascular system and affecting all these other systems of your body. And it's just that we forgot that we left all of our power just blowing out. It's yeah, that no, relaxation. When, when, I was, uh, when I was in uh, chronic pain in my 20s, I forgot what it was like to be really comfortable just sitting around and taking easy <laughs> breaths. I mean, because I had, and, and like when if I would go to a you know, yoga class or do some sort of mindful movement practice and I would feel fantastic and I'm like, you know, I should feel like this all the time. And it's just kind of a reminder that this is what life can be like. And I think a lot of people that are getting better, uh, they have that kind of like, oh, man, well, I've, I've been missing out. They, you know, they forgot what it, what it feels like to not have pain or to not have discomfort, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so there's something. I did have a – there was not a qualm, but there was a, a component of the book that I was like, wait, was the posture – and the lack of correlation to pain, which I, 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 I was wondering whether you asked me about that. Yeah. 
Like, <laughs> I get it that there's studies and there's the, the knee is just in, in deplorable condition. And they're like, nope, no knee pain, but my back feels funny, you know. Uh-huh. But at the same time, I think that when we are in ill posture, then we are creating stress. And we're, you know, you mentioned Dr. Cobb, Eric Cobb. Uh, he's been on here as well. He calls it the stress bucket. Oh, he did? Yeah. You know, so he calls it the stress bucket. You know, and so I think that that, that that poor posture is an added stress to the system that will eventually manifest to pain, I think. Yeah, but if that's true, if that's true, <laughs> then wouldn't you find that people with poor posture, I mean, this is this is my question. You know, this whole, so just just so you, just your listeners know, there's this uh, line of research uh, looking at correlations between measures of posture and chronic pain. So you go do these studies and you do x-rays, you do MRIs, you measure people's posture however you can, see how much lumbar lordosis they have, see how much anterior tilt they have, thoracic kyphosis, different things. And so the prediction is, hey man, the people with bad posture, wouldn't you expect that those guys have more pain? They've got more stress in their stress bucket, so they're gonna have more pain. But what the studies seem to show is very hard to find correlations between uh, measures of posture and pain. Now some of them do, probably most of them don't. Most of the studies are not that well done. Um, And um, so, it's uh, it's it's always been surprising to me that that the studies came out this way. Um, and is posture something that you know causes stress? It certainly seems like it should. Um, but there's I guess there's a couple reasons to believe that it's not as big as factor as we, as we thought. Uh, one of them being is that we adapt to whatever you know situation we're in. Yeah. So it's like if your posture is putting stress in a certain area for a long period of time. You know, it, it, let's say you've been doing that since you were like nine years old and you grew through like being nine, 10, 11, 12. You, you're going through a developmental period where that piece of tissue that's taking more stress is getting better at taking the stress. You know, maybe at some point it's going to break and not feel as well, but it's also going to adapt a little bit. Um, so it's it's an interesting question. So I guess I'm kind of a posture skeptic, but but uh, I'm, I'm open to be convinced one one way or the other on that. So I, w- I won't be too uh, hard line. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so in my practice working with people, something I witness quite a bit is yeah. is numbness, you know, and then disintegration, disassociation from their body. And I think that that just because you're not experiencing pain, you know, you're not getting the alarm signal. You took the batteries out of the alarm signal a long time ago because your body recognized you're not going to do anything about it. Yeah. You know, so I think that if you are carrying poor, you know, if you have poor carriage of your physical body and you have poor joint centration, you know, or neutrality or whatever you want to call it, then you are walking around dumping energy in a state, you know, your hoses are flexed. You're not able to move the fluid. You're just, you're just spilling your, your energy bucket all over the ground all day long. Just because you don't notice that that's happening because you've numbed it out. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I well, think... You- did you mean you mean numbness like uh, I got a little bit confused because did you mean numbness like you're having like you're numb like you can't feel something or more like numbness like you you have a poor awareness of that area poor awareness of the area poor awareness of the area yeah. okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so something that I'll see I'm sure you've seen this before is I'll get into working with somebody and we're getting into their hip flexors or what have you and I'm like I'm like this hurts right and they're like nope nothing and all of a sudden. Two minutes later, like, oh, dear God, I can really feel that. <laughs> well, yeah, I think the awareness thing is very, very interesting. You know, I I, uh, I definitely have some people that have very low awareness of their body. And and uh, they're kind of like, you know, and it's like if you ask them to describe what's going on in their body, they're like, there's like two words for it. It's like that's okay or 
my leg is burning or something <laughs> or, 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 or they're in massive pain. It's kind of like there's only, and other people, and these tend to be people that, you know, the body where people, to me, the most body where people are, are often dancers. So if, yeah. if, you know, you get a dancer in there and you say like, you know, I ask people, how does this feel? And some people, you just get these incredibly vivid, metaphorical, subtle descriptions of how something feels. And they're so aware of all the, these little things and how it feels. Some people have, like you say, no awareness at all. It's either, you know, do what you got to do. I don't care how it feels. You know, they just tune everything out. And so when I came into this, I was kind of like, you know, I, I, I really uh, believe that awareness is great. Awareness is always good. But, you know, sometimes I, I've noticed that a lot of these people that have no awareness, a lot of times they're not that bad off. I, 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 I'm telling you, they, <laughs> these brick guys that just kind of like they're totally tuned out of their body. Um, you know, sometimes these guys, uh a disaster comes that they that they missed that was on the way. You know, these 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 are the guys who their back is fine. I feel nothing. I feel nothing. I feel nothing. And all of a sudden, their back goes out and they're on their back flat for two weeks or something like that. You know, right? They have so so maybe they could have benefited from some more awareness. But then there's other people. I think you can have too much awareness. These are the people that are you know kind of neurotic and sensitive and so. So it's not so it's it's the right awareness at the right time of the right things. I mean, too much you don't want to be aware of everything that's going on in your body. There's lots of irrelevant things going on in there. There's lots of uh, bad things going on in your body, which is which is probably good to just tune out of for the most part and only be aware of the things that are you know really bad. Yeah. So uh, I think that awareness is kind of a double-edged sword, and 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 I think it's it's tricky to get it right. And I think that that's what the yoga people and the martial artists and the Tai Chi people are trying to do. It's like it's this non-judgmental awareness. So, I mean, you could be sitting there being aware of your back and just being worried about, oh, my God, have I got a herniated disc there? You know, that's back awareness. Oh, my God, this is wrong. My lime is off. This is bad. If you're constantly thinking about that, you're going to have more pain. So it's it's the it's the right kind of awareness. It's where you it's what they tell you in the yoga class. You know, just feel what's coming and just don't judge it and just feel it. Don't get into all this worrying and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I think it's recognizing that your body is a tool in a sense, and so different depending upon what you want to use your body and your mind for. If you want to be, you know, a microscope, or if you want to be, you know, have more of like a macro perspective on things, or if you want to be more of like a hammer, or if you want to be more of like a fine-tuned NASA instrument. You know, it's like I personally would prefer to, you know, have a little bit of both of that. I want to be able to, to span the spectrums. But some people, they're just juggernaut, you know, they're just ram head through wall. And if that's what you it's, it's all about the choice. It's recognizing what you're doing to yourself. And I think most of us don't have a recognition. We just kind of blindly go through life and then we die. Yeah. 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 It's nice. to That, that reminds me of what Feldenkrais said. He said is if you know what you're doing, you can do what you want. I mean, he yeah. really wanted people to have control and mastery over where their awareness goes and what how they move their body and, and what they felt you know yeah 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 the um so with feldenkrais can we get into maybe some some i mean i guess just look up feldenkrais or look up on your website and then or get your book you have you have exercises or, or lessons they call it but uh expanding this our sensory perception of things in order to expand reciprocally our our motor capacities you know it's like they're they're integrated systems thanks for sitting on the floor that's, that's <laughs> <very> <laughs> you know i was actually uh, looking for a uh, um 
Charger. to get connected to a power source here, right? Uh, which I realize now is upstairs. Is it, is it cool yeah, if I no, just, yeah, go grab just, it. I'm going to run out here in just a second. I'll be back in like 30 seconds. Yeah, no, we do. Okay, I'm powered up. You're all juiced up. Juiced up, yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so question was yes. integrated systems, you know, something like sensory motor, two different words, integrated systems. Is there some way that potentially, or, you know, please, you know, have whatever, maybe disagree with that, but is there some way that, that we can practically uh, develop our, our sensory awareness and which will then have reciprocal effect on our, our motor capacity? Or is that a crazy thought? No, I think those things are, are, are almost exactly the same. I mean, you, you um, motor control and, you know, body sense or proprioception or awareness of what's going on, not necessarily conscious awareness, but, you know, some sense of, you know, maybe more visceral awareness. Those things are totally connected and you can't have one without the other. So I think the people that are discuss, um, you know, motor control, you know, the scientists that know about motor control at a very high level, uh, these guys would, they, they don't even make that much of a distinction between sensory and motor activity going on in the nervous system. Those are kind of, that's like one in the same system. Yeah. So we, we moved to, and that's what Feldenkrais said, too. It, it's like, um, you know, the act of um, moving is, is inseparably, inseparably connected to the act of sensing. So uh, it, it, with every kind of sensation we have, there's a connected movement and thought and emotion. And with every uh, movement we have and, and, and so forth. So th these things are just totally totally connected it goes along with a lot of what you what you've been saying so far yeah yeah and so my my sense is that by increasing our our mindfulness is talking with a woman called ellen langer who she's known as the, the mother of mindfulness and you know by increasing our our mindfulness i think that that can have an effect on our actual physical movements capacity you know, as, yeah. as we become more fascinated, more, more aware of every individual component of how we move through the world and all that, that can make you go crazy, but it can also, I think, make you a, you know, a, better, a more evolved human being. Yeah. Yeah. That's, then that's, again, that's basically Feldenkrais's ideas that if you know what you're doing, you can do what you want. And his movements are, his lessons are called awareness through movement lessons. Yeah. During his lessons, he does something interesting, which proves your point which is that um, you do the same movement over and over again. Let's say you do a cat-cow movement. You're on your, you're in quadruped. You alternately flex and, ex and extend your back. You arch and round your back. You do the movement basically the same way each time, but each time you focus your attention on a movement of a different segment of your spine. So do the movement and think about how uh, a little uh, one of the vertebrae in your low back goes up and down. Do the movement again and think about how your sternum goes up and down. Do the movement again and trace and your you know listen to the movement of your navel up and down. Each time you shift your attention, you will necessarily do the movement in a slightly different way, because where your attention goes, what you're mindful of affects what you sense, and what you sense affects your movement. Yeah, yeah. Um, we got to finish up, but there is a, that reminds me of a story, Morihei Yoshiba, the guy that, uh, founded Aikido. I'm sure I'm saying his name wrong, but one of the things, have you ever heard the story where that he was, he was doing some kind of, uh, movement with, uh, with one of the students and the students like, come on, man, like how are we, we're going to, we've, we've done this 200 times already. Like, when are we going to stop? And then he gets all angry at him. He says, you idiot. You know, when you realize that every single movement that you do is a completely different, brand new movement, that's when yeah. you'll be practicing Aikido. Ah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, good, good line. I like that. It, it's uh, I've, I've read recently that you know you never reach for a wine glass the same way twice. You never yeah. take you know a diver going off the board never sets his feet the same way try twice. That's the idea of variability in movement. It's yeah. always small variations. Yeah, yeah. So tapping into these primitive movements, like you, I promise you can work on an overhead squat position for the rest of your life. You know, and it's only going to make you a better person, you know, because it's it's, it's, cha <laughs> it's challenging all of these systems. <laughs> don't you laugh at me, Don? <laughs> I don't I wouldn't make me a better person, but I don't, it might make someone a better person, like a master, you know, like somebody out there. But, you know, that's, that, that reminds me of the people who, uh, you know, that they practice uh, the art of making sushi is like, an, a, yeah. you know, they it's kind of like this repetitive thing where you're doing it the same way every day. But these guys go in there and they go. Every day I'm going to get better at this and do it a little bit. And that's like this this practice for them, you know? It's like practice of becoming a better person. Yeah, yeah. Cool, man. This is fun. It's always fun to get to talk to, to uh, people that do manual therapy as well. Usually that's not... Oh, you're, you're usually talk more to movement people? Uh, movement, psychology, nutrition, all sorts of things. So the whole, oh. the whole, the whole concept is, is that, you know, your, your movement and your physical structure is more than just your biceps, you know, bicep curls and pull-ups, but the way that you feel your joie de vivre, you know, your, your sleep patterning, the food that you put in your body, all that affects the way that you feel, which then ends up affecting the way that your organism stands in space. And so Good. I try not to limit to just like, just talking about linear, you know, one specific thing. Anyways, where do people find you? Learn more about your stuff. It's great. Uh, I have a blog at bettermovement.org. If you go there, you can uh, you can find me. I've got a book called uh, A Guide to Better Movement, The Science and Practice of Learning to Move with More Skill and Less Pain, and you can find that on Amazon. Cool. On Kindle or hard, hard, not hard copy, soft copy. Soft, well, it's a real book. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I would absolutely highly recommend the Guide to Better Movement book. It's, honest to God, one of my, one of my favorite books. I was, um, like I said, I, I highlighted, highlit the crap out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, cool. Well, um, thanks so much. Hopefully you get to, you know, connect again in the future, man. I enjoyed having thanks. you on. Thanks, it was just chatting. I enjoyed it. Cool, radical. All right, I'll see you, man. Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your support. Um, jump on to the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find the blog. You can find hundreds of free videos on self-care and functional movement. You can find podcasts, show notes, learn more about the guests and all that stuff. And uh, from there, please and thank you in advance for utilizing the affiliate uh, Amazon link on the right-hand sidebar of the blog and podcast page. Jump on there, click on that link. Anytime you buy some crap on Amazon, uh, they kick down seven odd percent towards the Align Podcast Foundation, and it is greatly, greatly helpful for the funding of the show. Thank you as well to Audible.com. That is A-U-D-I-B-L-E.com. They are the world's premier uh, organization website in uh, audiobooks. Really amazing quality. Got every freaking book you could possibly imagine. Uh, they got me through traveling through Europe, traveling through Africa, traveling all over the country, and uh, it's been been great. The book that I went with when I uh, got my, my free gift from Audible was uh, Shantaram. 
which is a very nice, nice story. Uh, and it is huge, which is a bonus. So no matter what size of the book, it's all free and uh, the quality is impeccable. And so yeah, I would recommend getting on there and getting something with the whole, whole lot of pages. Get your value on that thing. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. What else do we have? We have the uh, self-care kit. I hope you guys enjoy that. It is uh, on the website or Amazon. It's a hollow foam roller, screw on lids, two different size myofascial release balls, door anchors, so you can adjust the height of that band. Get your self-care practice going. Keep those tissues moving, sexy and smooth, the way they deserve. Um, thank you for reviews on iTunes. That is greatly appreciated. Helps the algorithm gods know that people are tuned into this podcast and enjoying it. Five stars. Por favor. And I think that could be it. Thank you all. I really do genuinely appreciate your support. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being you. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.